Jesus said, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and he said the same. And he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you didn't change your minds and believe him. This is a story, a parable of God for the people of God. Would you say with me, thanks be to God? You can have a seat. Many years ago, when our oldest was born, we were given a book as a baby gift called The Big Book of Why. And I held on to that book for all three children. I kept it on the shelf for all three of them because they all loved to ask that question, why, repeatedly about many different things. Well, that's the question that I have for this parable. The question that I have for this Bible story is why? Why would the two sons say one thing and do another? Why would the first son say no and then do the yes? What suddenly inspired him? Was it guilt or too much caffeine or the threat of punishment or something greater? And why would the second son say yes and then not go? Well, maybe his yes is a quick way out of the conversation. Maybe he doesn't want to do the work, but even more than that, he does not want to be bothered by the father So like the kid in the cartoon who's watching TV or YouTube or gaming or whatever kids do with a screen, uh, maybe he didn't want to be bothered. Or maybe he intended to go, but a better option came up. And so he's going to do it. He's going to go out in that vineyard, but he continues to press, play the next episode, and then the sun finally goes down on the vineyard and he can't do the work. Or maybe he doesn't even care about the work. Maybe what he cares about is simply the yes or the appearance of saying yes. There are many possibilities here. There are many answers to the question of why, but you know what? None of them are in the scripture. None of them are in this parable. What's held up in the scripture is simply the word or the intention and the action. The word and the action. And that there's space between the two. They don't have to be the same. And they often aren't the same, the word and the action. There was a Greek philosopher who told a similar parable in the very first century, Jesus' time, that went like this. A man says, I'm going to sail and gain from trading, but he doesn't secure a ship or the supplies. And another man says nothing. But he goes and prepares a ship to sail. Which of the two is seriously interested in trading? The second one, right? Yeah, it's that old cliche, talk is cheap. The Greek philosopher who told this story, who told this parable, was named Dio Chrysostom, and his name literally means the golden mouth. And he followed his story, he followed his parable with this lesson. In every matter, in every matter, the word that is unaccompanied by an act is not trustworthy. 
But the act alone, the act alone is trustworthy and true, even when no word precedes it. I think we know this to be true from a very early age. We know this intuitively that what a person does matters. That's where the important information is. It's why I sometimes said to my children, do as I say and not as I do, right? There was a recent study in Australia that showed that preschoolers would copy everything they saw an adult demonstrate even if there were obvious reasons why the actions were not relevant. So in the study, children were shown how to open a box by an adult in a really impractical way. The adult would take a stick and drag the stick across the top of the box. Then the adult would use the stick to pull a knob on the box to open it up. The easy way to open the box would just be to use your fingers. But almost every time the child did exactly what they had seen the adult do, was it because it was a fun game? Maybe, but that wasn't the setup of the researchers. You know what? The researchers could not get a chimpanzee to follow the flawed logic. The chimp would go right to the action, would just open the box with their fingers, but the child most of the time did exactly what the adult modeled. Even if it's just a game, even if it's just a game, the important information is in the action. In Isaac Dennison's book, Out of Africa, she tells about a young boy named Katal who came to her door in Nairobi and asked if he could work for her. She said yes, and Katal turned out to be an excellent worker, but after three months, of coming to her and asking to work for her, he came to her again and he asked for a letter of recommendation, a letter of recommendation to work for Sheikh Salim, a Muslim in Mombasa. Upset that Katal might leave, she offered to raise his pay. But he explained that the whole reason that he came to work for her was to see the ways and the habits of Christians up close. And next, he was going to see how a Muslim behaved, and then he would make up his mind about Christianity or Islam. Denison wrote, I believe even an archbishop would have said, you could have told me that when you came to my door the first time. Preacher Barbara Brown Taylor said, the world isn't short on people who believe all the right things. Maybe you've noticed. In the world today, there is a plethora of people who are absolutely convinced that they are right. The world isn't short of people who believe the right things. But God is short of something. God is short of people who will go where God calls them to go and will do what God calls them to do, even when it goes against what they think. That's what happens in this parable, in this Bible story. The chief priests, they believe the right thing. They're absolutely convinced that they are correct, and they can't change direction. The phrase or the image of repentance is actually all over the scripture passage at the end of Matthew 21. I want to show you the verses again. There's this reference to John the Baptist, who, of course, had a ministry of repentance, 
But then the actual parable is framed by the phrase, change your mind or changed their minds. The first son changed his mind and the chief priests can't change their minds. Okay, that phrase can also be translated, finally repented. Here's what I see. And I see this because I are one. The priests and the scribes are stuck in a rut of being right. And a change of mind is called for. Doing good, doing the Father's work in the vineyard instead of thinking right is just the medicine that is needed. It's better to let the doing inform our thinking than to possess some kind of right logic or good thinking that leads us not to do compassionate work or to exclude. The second of the three general rules of the United Methodist Church is to do good. Last week we talked about do no harm. This week I want to talk about do, doing good. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, wrote in his journal, Christ's servant I am, and I singly attend to one thing, go, go about and doing good. There is a daily occasion for doing good, he went on to write. Poor families to be relieved, children to be educated, workhouses where young and old gladly receive encouragement, and prisons filled with a complication of all human wants. We do the good that needs to be done wherever we are. Those of us who want to follow in the way of John Wesley, we do the good in hospitals in prisons, but we even and especially do the good at work and at home. We do good because we are disciples of one who did good, one who healed and taught and fed, and also because I believe we are designed in the image of God and deemed good by our Creator. I listened to a sermon this week by another pastor and Pastor Tom Berlin, and he taught me something that had never occurred to me about the first creation story in Genesis. When God looks at everything that is created in that first story in Genesis and says good, it's as if God is saying, look at that. It's just like me. Beautiful, sustainable, pure. Look at that. It's just like me. It's good. And we get this double emphasis of goodness for humankind when humankind is created because humankind is created in the image of God. That's what the scripture says, and called good. So created definitely for goodness. Dr. Lori Santos teaches a class at Yale that is called Psychology and the Good Life. And her students have nicknamed her class the happiness class. I heard Dr. Santos interviewed recently, and she said that initially when she designed the course for the students at Yale, she expected for 20 to 30 people to sign up. In that very first semester, 1,200 students signed up for this elective, Psychology and the Good Life. You and I can take it online now for free. But Santos says that we all go about our daily life with a common misconception. And the common misconception that we have is doing nice things for ourselves 
will raise our level of happiness. And so we think if we just had a little more money and we just had a little more time, then we would be happier. We could do nice things for ourselves and we would be happier. But it's actually not the case. The correlation doesn't prove out. There is a strong correlation between charity and happiness. And so happy people then give more money and they give more of themselves to other people. We don't expect it to be true, but it actually works better than we think. In the text meeting this week, Pastor Lynn Anderson said to me, but Dinah, you know, you don't want to be a do-gooder either. And uh, do-gooders aren't disciples. And I think that's true. A do-gooder is fueled or motivated by their own stuff, their own energy, their own force to look good or to manipulate a situation. But a disciple or a servant has a different fuel. A disciple is fueled by energy that's generated in their relationship with God. So we don't get to control the results when we do good. We don't get to set the timetable. Sometimes it's really inconvenient to do the thing that God has put in our path to do, and we don't get to control the amount of praise or attention we get. I set my mind on doing the good things that are mine to do, and those are those things that just simply show up in my path, and they are accompanied by a gentle nudge of the Spirit that says, do this, do this. Brian Doyle wrote a short story about a football player in his hometown who was nicknamed the Hawk. The Hawk played football in high school, and he played football in college, and then he played a few years of professional football. But then, Doyle says, the Hawk entered into several business ventures that just simply didn't go well. And he got married, and he had children, and that didn't go well either. So what he did was he took up residence on the high school football field. He put a tent there, and he lived there because that's where things had gone well for him. A reporter from the local paper came came to talk to him with the intention of writing a story about the failure of the American dream. But the hawk told her, you know, people come by here, and they leave me cookies, and they give me sandwiches. And the kids who play lacrosse here at night, they set up a screen so that my tent doesn't get peppered with shots. The police come by from time to time to make sure no one's given me grief, and someone leaves a cup of coffee every morning on the visitor's bench for me. He went on to say, I keep the field clean. Mostly I'm picking up discarded water bottles, and I hang lost cell phones in a plastic bag by the gate. The other day... A lady came by with twin infants, and she let me hold one while we talked football. What could possibly be better than standing on a football field holding a brand new human? Everything else is just a footnote. Doing the work that is ours to do in this life, there's nothing better. We are created to do good. Everything else is just a footnote. I've written again a covenant of doing good that is from a book called Three Simple Rules by a a former bishop of the United Methodist Church, Reuben Job. 
And I'm just going to give you a few seconds to read through it. And if it's something that you can commit to do, then you can read it with me here in a minute. Let's read it together. I will do good. Doing good is directed at everyone. It's not limited to those like me or those who like me. Doing good is proactive. I will not wait until circumstances cry out for aid to relieve suffering. I will choose a way of living that nourishes goodness and strengthens community. I will do good. Let's pray. Eternal God. You are pure and beautiful and sustainable and good. You are at work in our world doing good, and we want to be a part of what you are doing. Lord, would you relieve us of the obstacle of being right? 